Welcome to the 145th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. On a wintry Saturday in January 2014, over 225 people gathered in the southeast Minnesota community of Winona for the Land Stewardship Project's Citizens Frack Sand Summit. This day-long event provided an opportunity for citizens to address one of the region's most pressing environmental issues, the mining of silica sand for use in hydraulic fracturing of oil and gas reserves. It turns out southeast Minnesota and western Wisconsin have vast amounts of just the kind of silica sand the industry is looking for. During the past few years, western Wisconsin in particular has experienced a kind of gold rush as massive corporations work to strip mine as much sand as possible and ship it to oil and gas drilling operations in places like Pennsylvania and North Dakota. The result has been decimated landscapes. Entire hilltops have been removed, ruining farmland and eliminating the natural water purifying services sand can provide. In addition, frac sand processing facilities are producing air and water pollution. To top it off, rural roadways are being inundated with an unprecedented amount of truck traffic that's dangerous, polluting, and harmful to the transportation infrastructure of small communities. Now the frac sand industry has its eyes on southeast Minnesota and has in recent years used intimidation, government lobbying, and in some cases outright misinformation to get a foothold in the region. But citizens are fighting back. With the help of the Land Stewardship Project, several communities have established moratoriums on frac sand mining and processing while they develop planning and zoning regulations. In addition, LSB members and others have been organizing at the state capitol where they are calling for strict regulations on frac sand activities, including an outright ban on the industry in southeast Minnesota's fragile karst region. The Frac Sand Citizen Summit brought together people to share strategy, learn from experts, and strengthen the movement to keep frac sand mining from destroying communities in southeast Minnesota and beyond. Featured speakers included citizens, local government experts, farmers, energy experts, and scientists who are doing cutting-edge research on the effects of silica sand exposure. This podcast is the fourth in a series of programs featuring excerpts of presentations from the summit. In this installment, Crispin Pierce director of the Environmental Health Program at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, talks about the research being done in Wisconsin on sand particulate emissions from silica operations. Pierce also emphasizes how critical ongoing monitoring of these facilities is. So I will be talking about airborne particulate and crystalline silica health risks. We know that frac sand mining, processing, and transportation increase, increase the fine particulates called the PM2.5 we've heard about today. The particles cause cardiovascular disease, lung disease, and lung cancer. And our measurements around frac sand sites have found higher levels around these sites compared to the background levels reported by Wisconsin DNR. Ultimately, monitoring the local PM2.5 concentrations is the way, in my estimation, to protect against these risks, cardiovascular disease, lung disease, as well as silicosis. So we know that there are a number of considerations when we look at frac sand mining, processing, and transporting in terms of the health risks to the community, and they certainly include airborne pollutants, which will be the focus of our discussion, but also waterborne pollutants. We've talked about acrylamide, Commissioner Stein mentioned, light pollution, wetland loss that affects local water quality, truck traffic that affects road safety. Again, the issue of diesel emissions, which are part of the small particulate fraction, is very important, certainly for a hub like as in this area with a lot of truck traffic, and certainly greenhouse gas generation that increases climate change. An earlier speaker talked about 100-year floods being much more frequent now. So particulate matter is 
associated with increased respiratory symptoms, irritation of the airways, coughing, difficulty breathing, and asthma, development of chronic bronchitis, irregular heartbeat. We see more admittances to emergency departments when we have air pollution or air quality alert days. We see sometimes that in the uh, winter months we have a, a temperature inversion. Non-fatal heart attacks are more prevalent with high levels of these particulates, premature death in people with heart or lung disease. Uh, I think we've all seen pictures of Beijing, very, very sad pictures where you can't see more than 5 or 10 meters. Those are the small particulates we're very, very concerned about. Size is important. The larger coarse sand particles are those wanted by the frac sand companies to inject in a slurry with hydrocarbons as well as water to open up the fractures to pull out the gas and oil. The parts that they don't want, they call waste sand, are the parts I'm most interested in, the PM2.5, which would be on the rightmost slide. So maybe barely see that little clay particle, but those are the sizes. Uh, and again, Dr. McCauley talked about where the deposition in the lung occurs. Those are the smallest particles that get deep into our lungs. Larger particles we catch in our nose, the back of our throat, much, much less dangerous. One of the components of frac sand emissions is called crystalline silica. And it's recognized by both agencies like NIOSH and OSHA that protect workers, but also the EPA as being a particularly dangerous component of small, small particles that are inhaled. So it's not just dust, it's silica. One of the important issues and a question I get asked a lot is, well, gosh, you know, silica is, is the second most common element in farm soil. So why aren't farmers at risk? And the reason is that the size of the particles that make a big difference. The larger particles are traditionally associated with farming. It's these freshly fractured newly created very small particles that carry particular risk. So it's both the size, the very small size, but also the fact that they're very chemically reactive. Uh, in, in days gone by, some of us would be called free radicals. There are a number of free radicals or reactive oxygen species on kind of the jagged tips of these very small particles. So it's both the size and the chemical nature of the freshly fractured silica that come from the fracking operations that are of most concern. And this is not, um, again, the size makes a huge difference. We're not concerned about the large particles that are part of a, a, a sandbox. We're concerned about the very small particles that can get into the deep lung. So in terms of exposure to crystalline silica, silicosis, fibrosis, or scarring of the lungs makes it more difficult to breathe. It's a progressive disease that has no treatment. The way we normally uh, diagnose silicosis is through a lung x-ray, but recent studies have found that not even that is catching all the silicosis cases. Sadly, it's when people, we have autopsies, and we open up the lung and actually see deposits of small sand particles. So silicosis is probably under-diagnosed uh, in terms of an occupational disease in our country. Kidney and autoimmune diseases are also part of silica exposure. About 200 people we expect will die this year, according to NIOSH, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Uh, and we expect, um, in, in my home state at this point, Wisconsin, between 8 and 18 people, we think will be dying of silicosis this year, based on trends. Lung cancer is clearly associated with silica exposure, crystalline silica exposure. A number of agencies have now made that determination, so it's very important. Uh, our DNR now has also admitted that, indeed, crystalline silica is a human carcinogen. Uh, I should just take an aside to note that a lot of us feel 
We look to Minnesota as a leader, both through the MPCA, through the organizations here in this room have made, I think, a huge difference in bringing awareness and control. To have a monitor brought into town, I think, is an excellent step forward. To set a standard of three microgram per cubic meter, as uh, Commissioner Stein mentioned, is a, a major step forward. A number of us in Wisconsin put forward a petition to the Wisconsin DNR several years ago mm -hmm. to list crystalline silica as a human carcinogen and regulate it, and it was turned down because uh, the DNR said that we don't have a way to measure it, we don't have enough evidence of people's morbidity and mortality to actually set a standard. So Minnesota has been, frankly, uh, a beacon for, I think, some very progressive, some very health smart approaches to regulating this issue. So how are these small particulates generated? What happens? How do they get into the air? Well, there are a number of ways. Uh, the blasting, loading, and hauling, uh, I was hearing stories about how the materials transferred, I think, from trucks to barges, uh, through rail cars just near our hotel here by the river. Uh, many of you have seen the clouds of dust that are associated oftentimes with using a front loader to take it from a pile into uh, a truck. These are some of the ways. But also regular processing activities such as crushing and transporting, hauling and loading. And as we saw a picture earlier today, uh, under high wind conditions we see, and even low wind conditions, we see small particles becoming airborne, blowing off the piles in Wisconsin. These facilities are quite large. We saw some photos earlier, but uh, one of the largest, uh, the EOG trans uh, processing facility in Chippewa Falls, it must be 10, 20 football fields large. These are massive, massive operations. And so it's not your mom and pop gravel operation that we saw in Wisconsin 50 years ago where it's limited and it's in a rural location. These are large facilities, oftentimes near populated centers, schools where people are working, housing tracks. So we have more potential and we are seeing more exposure. This is a, a facility up in um, northern Wisconsin here, uh, Bridge Creek. It's a conveyor sand belt leakage. So between the mine and the processing plant, there's a large conveyor. It's about a mile long and you can see the sand has leaked down out of the conveyor belt that make those pretty large piles. And certainly when we have blasting for more tightly cemented formations, this is a major source of exposure to people in the community. When we visited New Auburn about a month and a half ago to do some sampling, we happened by a, a frac sand train derailment. So obviously another major concern. They're not uncommon in Wisconsin. Another major source of exposure. Here's an example where DNR did respond to a citizen complaint. This is a truck-to-train rail transfer. So you can see that during this process, there are a number of very fine particles released. So a, a very serious situation down in, uh, at the Patterson Sand facility. One of the, the earlier speakers talked about, I think it was Commissioner Stein, talked about a limit, not being something we move up to, but something we try to stay well, well below. I think Dr. McCauley and I would, would agree, and, and please feel free, Mike, to voice your disagreement if possible. Disagreement between scientists is really, really important to getting it right. So uh, that's why we do peer review. But in this situation, we don't know that there is a safe level of PM 2.5 or PM 0.1. I don't think either one of us can say, you can have this level of exposure and be perfectly safe. We know these particles get into the deep lung, they're very difficult to be cleared, and there is some, we presume, some level of risk no matter what. In this case, if we look in the middle column, the PM 2.5, the 24-hour standard, the top number is the DNR's prediction about what will be added to the air. So they'll be added a 7.1 concentration to what is existing of a 25.6. 
you can see at the bottom we're at 93% of the standard. So we're very, very close to the standard, but certainly uh, at a level already where we expect some degree of lung impairment, some degree of cardiovascular disease. So I, I also show this slide to say that even DNR is acknowledging that the Fraxan facilities are adding small particulates into the air. Well, these small particles are, uh, are pretty difficult to treat. Very smaller particles will come out through coagulation. Larger particles will just fall out of the air. The particle sizes that I'm most concerned about are PM 2.5, and they have a residence time from 10 to 15 days. So if you look at predominant wind directions, if we have them up for 10 days, 240 hours, and we have wind speed of, let's say, 10 miles an hour, we're talking about dispersion over hundreds or perhaps even thousands of miles. These are small particles become pretty easily airborne, pretty easily carried. They come out through snow and rain, and when we go out in conditions like this, and we actually have a monitor running right now, a 24-hour monitor. We're going to be monitoring tomorrow morning as well. Uh, I expect to have pretty low levels because the snow particles and rain make the air cleaner. So particle size, meteorological conditions all make a difference in what we expect to see and what people are breathing. Regulation. We jump right to the bottom here. We see that Minnesota has this new 3 microgram per cubic meter measured as PM4 or that respirable fraction. I think that's a major step forward. Something, certainly something I advocated as well, uh, using the standard from the state of California. Dirty city air tends to have levels of about 1 or 2. So one of the practical matters that's difficult is if we set a standard that's very, very low, we're going to be including many, many sources. It's going to be difficult to actually assess that, what a contribution from a particular facility would be compared to background air. But certainly the level of three is clearly associated with increased risk of silicosis to the public. Even a colleague, as a matter of fact, Mike talked about his students. I'm very, very proud of our students. This is one of our graduates who's now working in the field, Jeff Johnson. And a recent statement from him from Inside Climate News is that he believes there currently are violations in Wisconsin of the PM 2.5 standard. I also, um, I consider myself a robust scientist, want to include all the information that we can get. So I do look at industry studies. I talk to people in the industry. What do you think of our work? What have you done? How can we improve on this work? Crystalline silica is the most dangerous component, and some initial studies, principally from industry, have found lower levels. However, when we've done monitoring at Superior Silica Sands up in New Auburn area, in their facility, They've actually measured levels and reported levels of 10 to 30 of the PM10. And again, as Mike said and other people have mentioned, the PM10 are the larger particles that tend to be caught in the upper respiratory tract. They're not as dangerous as the PM2.5. So if we take our ratio of the 10 to the dangerous 2.5, which is about 63%, the levels reported by industry become 6 to 19, and the standard is 12. So even with some industry data, it's cause for concern. We have gone to local sand mining, processing, and transport sites in the Chippewa Valley area. We've even come down a year ago to Winona here in Minnesota to take some background readings. Uh, again, hats off to, to local officials for inviting us to come down and help work with you folks that way. We collected PM 2.5 and PM 10 size particles in and around active and, and inactive sites. Uh, our initial work was one to two minute snapshots but also 24-hour filter collections. We believe not that we fully understand how much these small particles get into the body, the dose, but there have been many, many studies that say when we measure the 2.5 and we see how many people get sick, there's a pretty strong correlation. 
So before we get new information, it's a pretty good foundation, in my estimation, for protecting public health. The American Cancer Society and several follow-up studies found a 4 to 14% increased risk of death from all causes, a 6 to 26% increased death from cardiopulmonary and vascular disease, and an 8 to 37% increased risk of death from lung cancer. We believe that measurement enforcement of the current 12 microgram per cubic meter PM2.5 standard is likely to protect against silicosis risk. Uh, MSHA, the Mine Safety and Health Administration, when they looked at frac sand plants in Wisconsin, they found that about 14 or 15 percent of these small particles is silica. So we use that 14, 15 percent to apply to the standard, and that turns out to be 1.8. And if you remember, we're looking at a standard of three for the silica. So we believe that if we're carefully controlling and monitoring PM 2.5 on the top of the YMCA building, we will also protect against silicosis risk to this population. As we looked at the large facility I mentioned in Chippewa Falls, the EOG facility, we've monitored those, that facility for four years now, and we see progressively larger concentrations of these small particles in the air. If you compare the, the second or the third and the fourth, uh, also you can see that operation, whether or not the plant is operating, appeared to make a difference. We had lower levels when the plant was essentially shut down, and much higher when it was in full operation. And working some very, very initial data looking at frac sand levels, particulate levels around a frac sand train, uh, we can see that large spike happened when the frac sand train came by. About half an hour, 45 minutes later, the non-frac sand train, we didn't see the same kind of spike. So there's some initial work being done in that area. Based upon the measurements we've been doing, I'm not concerned that people are going to have immediate acute reactions from frac sand mines. I don't, we don't see levels about that. However, I should also mention that as this material is transported to Marcellus Shale, other places around the country, there are still fine particles, PM 2.5, associated with that. NIOSH has documented elevated levels, unsafe levels for workers. So these PM 2.5 are very, very prevalent. What I'm concerned about is long-term low exposure. That's why monitoring is so, so important. Because again, cardiovascular disease, lung disease, lung uh, cancer are associated. So it's the long-term exposure we want to monitor and, and, and reduce. So as we look at Land Stewardship Project and the, the positions you have taken as an organization, I'm fully supportive of this component of the position you've taken. Continuous ambient air quality monitoring, the installation and maintenance of state-of-the-art continuous monitors, facilities must not allow silica dust in the ambient air at the proper line to exceed this new level stated by MCCA. Computer modeling should not take the place of on-the-ground real-time monitoring. In Wisconsin, the, our DNR has not considered fugitive dust, you know, the dust that blows off these large particles, or truck traffic. They say, what's coming out of your stacks? Check, you're okay. But there are many other sources of fugitive dust that need to be incorporated, included, and without monitoring at these sites, we actually don't know what people are exposed to. information on the Citizens Frac Sand Summit, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and follow the Organizing for Change links to the Report from the Citizens Frac Sand Summit page. There you will find a PDF copy of Crispin Pierce's Air Quality, Human Health, and Frac Sand Industry presentation. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org 
or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Morgandale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.